Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me on this Sunday morning edition of Down to Earth. It's Sunday, and it is the second Sunday in December because today is December 6th. I can't believe that. It's actually December 6th, everybody. It's like the month is marching on. The November elections are 33 days in the rearview mirror, and for some reason it still uh, is a big part of the conversation that we are having today. I think we're all exhausted mentally from this and, and emotionally and would really like to move on and would really like to just put this in the rearview mirror. So I hope my my brothers and sisters in the faith, the preachers who are well-known, would get off it in their pulpits and kind of focus on the business of reconciliation. The Bible does call us to be reconciled to one another. And if you are going to be a part of the ministry of, and the brotherhood of Christ, then reconciliation ought to be what we ought to do. And I feel strongly that now that the politics are over, it's time to extend the olive branch, so to speak, and to uh, bring ourselves to some level of consciousness that as people of God, we are the leaders and that we are the ones whom people are looking to to make this happen. The elections are over. All the uh, posturing and all the the actions and the siding with political parties that we have all done, we all are guilty. Some of us more than others uh, defending people who are indefensible standing up for people and promoting people who are who sh- are not promotable, who should not even be considered as leaders based on their track record and what they have done, yet we did it anyway. And this is the theme that I'm talking about today is how God works through an imperfect man because we still need someone to be an encourager. I don't know how many people are going to listen to some of you all because you were so polarizing and so marginalizing in your support for people who should not even be considered people who were who demonstrated visibly anti-Jesus tactics. Jesus was an unarmed brown-skinned man who was poor and started a faith movement based based on his belief, based on who he saw himself as being in the world. And yet, you have people who continually misrepresent the gospel of Christ stand in a pulpit on Sunday morning and postulate and pontificate and call out other people while your own lives uh, speak nothing about the ministry of reconciliation. So I think it's time for us to put the gauntlet down and declare ourselves that we are people of faith 
and that we are imperfect and that God works through us even when we don't understand it. I think that's one of the best dichotomies to draw people to Christ is because people then can see that if God can work through that one, maybe I stand a chance. Just maybe I can get some remorse. Maybe I can get some consideration for some of the things that I've done. I think in our world today, a lot of our focus has not been on the person. We, we focus on the person, yes, but not accountability. We focus on do what you want when you want because it feels good. If it feels good, do it. <clears throat> you don't owe anyone any explanation. It's all up to you. That sounds great and all until it comes time for accountability, until you realize that if you don't let someone know that there is a standard by which they are being judged, that there is good and there is evil, and that you should try to be as close to good as possible, then what you're doing is when the time comes for them to be confronted with what they have done, they won't do it. And that is what I'm afraid where we are at in terms of politically. We have allowed people whom we liked because we liked them so much. We allowed them, we, whatever they did, we dismissed it like we were God and handing down forgiveness. Like we were God and we are the ones who set the lines of demarcation. And so what we did was we allowed them to get away with it because we never corrected them. We never brought them to accountability. And so they kept going and going until now they have pushed everything over into the stratosphere. And because we always stood with them in the nonsense, we can't leave them now because how will we look if we leave them now? It's not so much about them as it is about us. What will we do now? How can we come forward, come back after this, when we have pushed them and pushed their agenda? We knew it was wrong, but yeah, he's still redeemable. Yeah, I still like him. I really think, you know, he could, you know, do something. No, he was never going to change. You could see his stripes from a mile away, but you were blinded by your own regards and your own true feelings. Sometimes our own true feelings come out of us. Inadvertently, we dislike something, but we are pretending, but it inadvertently just pops out, as the kids would say. And so when it pops out in someone else, we kind of like, hey, that's my man. Hey, I like that man. I like what he says, because he's espousing what you really believe. So you say he's the right person to lead, and you put God into it and say God chose him. No, you chose him because he's similar to what you believe. That's you, the person. Now, separate and apart from you, you might be able to say to someone, I have a calling on my life. I am a God person. But here's the thing that I think most of us, most people find dissatisfactory. And here is why. There is, as leaders, as Christian leaders, we are called to call out what we see that is happening in terms of leadership. We are called to do that. We are supposed to present the justice of God. That's what we are supposed to do. But how we do that is largely subjective and interpreted based on who we are and what side of the issue we're coming from. And people do get, uh, that does get, message does get misconstrued and people do find it hypocritical because on the one hand, you're saying, well, God says something, but you're doing something else. We need to present the message in such a way to say at all times, this is always what God says. 
that does not change. But what changes are our emotions and our interpretations and societal inflections. Societal inflections are those norms and mores that society evolves over time. Society does not stay static. For instance, how things were when the Bible was written 6,000 years ago is not how things are today. People don't think the same way. People don't act the same way. We don't live in the same sorts of communities. We don't act. We don't speak the same way. Languages have changed because people have traveled and intermingled and uh, groups and subsets and tribes and so on have mingled, right? So the society that existed 6,000, 7,000, 8,000 years ago does not exist today. So people's attitudes evolve over time based on civilization. And I think in a lot of ways, we're trying to find relevance in terms of how the Bible is written, what the Bible says. To apply to our own lives. I have found that the Bible is very applicable and relevant. It's living. It will tr- it's transformative in every generation and in every sect. But the delivery and the way it's presented, the messaging, is what is the problem. It makes no sense for me to stand here before you today and to tell you that I am a perfect person. That is a lie from the pit of hell. <laughs> There's nothing perfect about me. Nothing at all. I am an imperfect man. I'm an imperfect mankind. Man here means mankind. I'm an imperfect part of mankind. I'm, in, I'm an imperfect woman. I have many faults. I, I, I had to ask myself that this morning. I said, Lord, look at me. I'm criticizing other people. Let me just show you what my faults are. I had to hold the mirror up to my face and say, seriously, Harriet? Seriously? Look at you. Right? God, but God works through me nonetheless. In this political season, most of us were drawn to the, to the form of justice that we saw. It wasn't political fervor that motivated most of us. It was justice, justice for what is right, justice for who is right, justice for the people who are being injusticed. That is what we are called to at all times. It doesn't mean that you have to display favoritism to a person publicly. It means that you have to call out injustice. And I think the disconnect happened because so many Christian leaders were with the side where in the, that perpetrated injustice. So you're further perpetrating the uh, attitude that God really does not care about people. He only cares about some people. That's not what Jesus came for. That's not who Jesus' message is. And that message has been reverberating through the years to the extent that a great number of people have been alienated and sidetracked off the message of Jesus Christ. They can't see themselves written into it because the way the message is presented is you have to be perfect. You have to come from this sect. Just a few years ago, I think it was in the late 90s, There's a man called Fred Price, named Fred Price from California, who presented a whole series on race, religion, and racism. It was mind-blowing. And he actually separated himself from other people in the faith whom he had considered mentors, some white people, because he found a tape of them saying that the races should not mingle. At the time, Dr. Price had growing children. And he asked flat out the question, so you don't think my, my son should marry your daughter? 
And the, the gentleman whom he asked was a prominent uh, member of the Christian faith at the time. But the tape was live. The tape heard contained that man saying that the races should not mingle and that it is written in the Bible and used a scripture in Genesis to defend it. It's totally indefensible because it's a lie, totally taken out of context. It's the same contextual message that the planters and the slaveholders used to enslave people during the 16, 17, and 1800s in the American South. It's indefensible. But yet here they are in the 20th century, that was the 20th century, defending their position on it. When he confronted that man, the whole thing collapsed. Their friendship was no longer a friendship. Their association was finished. And Dr. Price chose to stand alone. And he's still standing, thank God. But what he said reverberates. It is about the cause of justice. Jesus came. If you read John 3.16, what does it say? It says, God came to save the whole world. He sent his son to save the whole world. For God so loved the world. He didn't say God just loved some people in the world. God loved everybody in the world. Even the person who is most indefensible. The serial killer. The rapist. The murderer. It's not something you and I are asked to understand. You don't have to understand it. You don't have to ask why does a priest go in to extend forgiveness to somebody who raped and murdered your family member. You don't have to answer that. You are not required. That's not your burden. The burden is theirs, not yours. It is not your burden to be loving and to wonder why God would extend mercy. It's not your burden. You have enough dealing with. When people try to make that your cause, it's something. It's 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 a lying mechanism of the devil to trap you into thinking that God loves them more, and that you will walk away with more bitterness. Don't listen to that. In fact, people who have done grievous harm often say to you, "But aren't you a child of God? Aren't you supposed to forgive?" And they do the same thing to you over and over again. They're not trying you. God is not trying you. They're wicked and evil, and get away from them. I know firsthand because I had lived with people like that. I know people like that. They used to say, but you're the child of God. You uh, rise up and go the high road. There is no such thing as the high road, honey. The high road is me getting away from you and staying away from you. Because that is the preservation of my faith and my character. You have to look at this and say, well, if God works through an imperfect man, here's how God's going to work through me right now. I'm going to get in my car and drive away and I'm not going to talk to you. Please don't talk to me. And keep it moving. And you reconcile within yourself what is acceptable to you and what is not. Every human being has his own comeuppance, his own come to Jesus moment. There are a certain set of things that you want or find yourself you can't do. It takes an act of God to get you be, to be out of those, to be beyond those. And I have found that people are nefarious in their intentions and often use that crux that as a Christian, you are supposed to forgive me for what I have done. It's like they're commanding you. That's not how forgiveness works. Forgiveness comes naturally. It comes so naturally you don't even realize. It comes when you get beyond yourself and have enough grace to see how dangerous that person's actions were to them. That's forgiveness. When someone comes to you and tells you, but you're a Christian, you're supposed to forgive me. Ignore that. That's a lie from the pit of hell. That's Satan tempting you to make you curse 
and to make you forget who you are. Don't forget who you are. <clears throat> because I, I, I have lived that so much that I understand. This is why the Bible continually talks about how God works through us. And I have a couple of scriptures to leave with you today because I want us to focus on that because I feel like I'm not the only person who is being challenged in this regard. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus said to him in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man coming to the Father except through me. We all know Jeremiah 29 and 11. For I know the plans I have for you, the Lord plans for the plans of good and not for evil. Romans 10 and 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. John 3:16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son Isaiah 64 and 6 We have all become one who is unclean and our righteous deeds are like a polluted gum not a result of works We shall all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind This is this, this is one of my favorites Ephesians 2:8 and 9 Listen to this For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your doing it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one would boast. It helped. That one I like a lot because it helps me. <laughs> when I see uh, certain people prancing on the stage and jumping up and doing what I call performative worship. Performance is what they're about. They, they perform well. They're preaching, and it's performative preaching. Performative preaching is done. That era is done. The coronavirus rendered that null and void. It's been getting done since Eddie Long. We've just been hanging on to the vestiges of it because that's all we have come to know. Performative per- preaching is what it is, performance. When I see them jumping across the stage and getting excited and riling your emotions up, I'm, you know, I'm always standing there looking like, okay, sometimes I had to join in because they would look at me funny, Right? But the thing is, I'm looking at it like that's just a performance. Give me some word. Give me something substantive to work with. So I often found myself attracted to the people who teach, the people who lay down the scriptures and leave you thinking. If anything I say to you today does not cause you to think, then I have failed. Maybe I need to go do some performative uh, 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 preaching myself jumping up and down and like Paula White did. Did you all see that clip that went viral where she's just calling on the angels over Africa. And I'm like, those are the same angels <laughs> who are going to effect justice in America. Are you kidding me? They're going to effect justice for real and give back African-Americans what was stolen from them several decades, hundreds of years ago. I'm like, people are so performative. <clears throat> They're out of their mind. They're the ones egging on the president, the current president, the outgoing president, to make him feel that there is hope of restoration in an electoral process that has is over. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? Because you like someone and you have a lot to lose if they're out of power. So you're going to do everything and tell them all kinds of foolishness that is not based on fact. You, you can say, you know, it's a funny thing uh, serving God because God will show you a different reality than one that currently exists. You'll have a dream, a vision, a knowing within yourself. There is nobody in this, on this planet who could really sincerely say that this election was not going to go to the Democrats. It was as clear as day. 
simply, even if you were to just observe the times, the times had shifted. And because of that shift that you could sense, you could tell that there was a lot more at stake than just personality. Performance. We're so performative that we make even politics about performance, when politics is usually very boring, not very engaging, not time-all-consuming. But you have personalities this season who made it all about performance. And it, it drew out the worst in some of us. It made us emotionally testy, and it made us ex- mentally exhausted. Because based on your performative angle, you're doing this simply to get ratings. So you're going to say the most extravagant, outdated things. You're going to do the most heinous acts just to get people's attention because it's about your personality and performance. It's the same thing with some preachers. They say anything, do anything just to get attention because that's what drives book sales. That's what drives contributions to their platforms. That's what drives the eyes to their platforms. You got to be careful of that. When you start quoting the numbers, you got to be careful. I remember years ago, I told a well-known preacher here in Detroit that they needed to distribute food to the people and that they needed to, because the community that the church is in, <clears throat> there are people who are in, in need. He said he's not a storefront church. That's a big church. He said he's not a storefront church. Well, you know what happened? God starts reducing the numbers. The numbers start going down. And now they're doing what? Distributing food like everybody else. How can, you not, how can you say you are the church and you are taking from the group of people, but you're not giving to them? And your, your lifestyle is incomparable to theirs. You are the millionaire. They're earning $20,000 a year. But you're telling them that to have faith in God requires them to give 10% of that $20,000. And then you drive off and go have beef tenderloin. And they have ground beef with macaroni and cheese called hamburger helper. While you're feasting on beef tenderloin. While you're feasting on seafood delicacies. They're, they're down at White Castle or something buying a shrimp dish, uh, you know, five birds of brown shrimp for $5 or something. But you're feasting on the real shrimp at Andiamas. Do you see what I'm saying? The performance, the performative worship, the disconnect. In our society, we have too many issues. Yes, God works through an imperfect man, but that imperfect man needs to have his own come to Jesus moment. You got to come to a place where you say, you know something, I'm totally done. I have totally messed this up. I have so totally, so I'm not going to do this now for to draw eyes to me. Look at me. This is what I'm doing. The eyes must constantly be on me. I was on Fox too. Did you see me? Did you see me? I was on Fox News. And they're preaching to you, and they're like, yeah, I was interviewed by Fox News, and I was just there telling the people how. That's performance. How about just doing the work? Just do the work and do it. You know, the Catholic Church is good for that. You know, they have convents and so on. You wouldn't even believe that they still have people doing the actual work. So while the leaders of the Catholic Church are carrying on crazy, You have the people who actually signed up for this and actually put their lives down in the message and the hope that Jesus is real. Those people were still actually doing the work. So while the leaders are caught up in scandals, they are the people right there getting coronavirus and all, but touching the people just like Jesus said. Meanwhile, you have the great performers. I call them the great performers. 
This is them always, you know, talking about the word of God. You can't hear Jack. Nothing that they say lines up with what you have. They have acolytes and surrogates who run around. And they're the, the town criers. They run around and create all kind of fluff about what they have to say. And then they're sitting back and watching the numbers come in. Because it's about the numbers. No, it's about the message. You have to live with such a perspective that it is about the message at some point. And I know they're saying, but Harriet, at some point, it's got to be about the numbers because I got to make money. Well, you might be in the wrong business. You might have to do something else to do that. You know, years ago, my daughter was in college and she told me a story that stuck with me. Uh, She was, we were struggling. She was in college. I was a single parent at the time. I had two children, one in elementary school uh, or middle school. I don't know if my daughter, no, my youngest wasn't in middle school yet. She was still in elementary school because my children are, my two daughters are 10 years apart. And my daughter told me a story about someone she encountered in college who came from the Detroit area, but came from a small church, preachers, a big church is called a storefront. And this person was in college and needed supplies to go to college. So the church came up with a drive. Everybody, the pastor said, everybody got to come put some money down to help this young person go to college. We were at a big church. They didn't hold a drive. <laughs> they kind of just looked at you. I'm t- I tell you the honest truth. They knew my daughter was going to. I didn't know if I had to make a big announcement, but I had never seen anybody else make an announcement. But nobody gave an envelope and said, hey, we collected $5 each year. Maybe they did that for people whom they were intimate with, who were part of their fluff group, part of their town criers. Maybe they did that. But they didn't do it for the wider community of which they were a part. And my daughter said something that struck me. She said, that is how it is supposed to be. Why are these storefront churches, the smaller churches, more effective at demonstrating the love of God and the the effects of Jesus Christ than these big churches are. And I found that it was indefensible. I couldn't say anything. Nothing I could have said, no matter how much I liked them at the time, could have made it, uh, you know what I mean, Uh, could have made it something, right? And uh, so we are a little bit, uh, I was a little bit out out of it. I mean, I had to come to have my own come to Jesus moment and say, you got to accept that what they're doing does not represent the true religion of Christ, that what they're doing is performative. It, and yes, I use the scripture to defend them that God works through an imperfect man, but hey, can we all just be reasonable here and say, we kind of want to see the God in you? We kind of want to see the God in you to accept that God works through your imperfection. You know, it it is quite something some years ago when my own children told me that they were angry because they said, nobody we know lives more like a Christian than you. Of all the people we have seen who claim to be Christian, you're the one who lives most like it and you have the least to show. You have nothing, you have no nothing, you're constantly struggling financially. And that struck a chord. And I'm like, but I guess that's the message. I guess the message is living as close to Christ, as close to what you're supposed to do as possible. Does not mean you're going to be poor, but it means what they were saying is that it demonstrates that I tried to do it the right way. 
Now we can all disagree on it because it takes, you know, people will tell it, well, it takes money to run a church. And I'm like, yeah, but God never told us to go open a 6,000 uh, seat sanctuary. Where are you going to get 6,000 bodies to put in there? Nobody could have foreseen that this shift in how people think and act and believe was coming, but God did. But he used it for a time. The charismatic movement is effectually dead right now. Why? Because they have misused what God gave them. It was a platform. God used them to save people. I got saved through that. I I came to Christ through that. Some guy preached a message one day that convinced me that it was true and that I should change and look into my life. Yeah. But that was meaningful, effective change. And that came from someone that if you look under the microscope, you will see a number of imperfections. But at the time when they were saying it, they had less imperfections. It seems that the more they become enamored with the performative part of it, the performative religion is the more likely they are to fall into that trap and everything just goes south. My thing is, stay away from that. You want to see God in the person. You want to feel like God walks or hovers with that person. And it's not necessarily through the veil of poverty because the Catholic Church, let's be clear, are not poor. But they do do the work in the community. They do do the work of uh, providing services to people. They do provide services to folks who are dispossessed, disenfranchised. They do provide health services wherever possible. They give money. And they do do the work of showing up. Maybe most of us need to depart from our big churches and become more like that. That's how you get people to come to Christ. You want people to see you through your imperfections? You're human. That's as imperfect as it goes. You are, if you're human, you're subject to the same things that is common to the human condition. The things that are common to the human condition, we all are challenged every day. We get hurt. We react. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's sitting there like God, not absorbing perfection. No, God is sitting there. Let God be the judge. You are imperfect. You have to raise children. You have marital problems. You have familial and relational problems. When some of the greatest challenges came to me as a Christian, I thought they were coming from externally. They came from internally when my mother died and my mother's family abandoned me. In the midst of the grief, my own siblings turned on me for nothing. I couldn't tell you that it was one thing. I asked, what, what did I do? Not one thing that they could have said I had done. But they turned on me. And I had to walk that out. And everybody's like, well, she's a child of God. She's supposed to. Huh? This child of God said, time out for you all. You are challenging my child of God status for real. Stay away from me. To this day. Do you see what I'm saying? We are, we're imperfect. Nobody is perfect. But at the same time, there has to be a moment when we have a come to Jesus moment. There has to be a moment when we come to our collective senses and say that enough is enough. I can't continue like this. You know, on my Twitter feed, I don't know what it is about me. I don't talk a lot about religion or so on, but it keeps popping up that I should follow Franklin Graham. No, I ain't following that, bro. I'm not following that dude. I have no consideration for him. Why? He supported a president and supported a man for leadership who says he grabs women by the P, a man who placed children in cages. 
a man who hates foreigners and immigrants. Now, Franklin Graham's father, Billy Graham, preached the gospel. In fact, I was a kid visiting my grandmother on, in summer, on summer holidays, and her, she would turn the radio on, and it was Billy Graham preaching from Minneapolis, Minnesota. It grabbed me. I'm like, that, the, the words and the message of love grabbed me. Here comes Billy Graham's son, who is supporting somebody for leadership, public leadership, who says, who demonstrates the very antithesis of what the love of God stands for. I'm like, hell to the no, I'm not following him. I don't want to hear anything from him at all. Because of that, I tried to look at the other parts of him, of, of Franklin Graham, where he started Samaritans first, and they're like one of the first people who are on the ground uh, when a disaster happens. I remember he told a story some years ago about how he uh, was going into where ISIS is. ISIS was in the Middle East, in Iraq, and in Syria, and discovered sex trafficking, that the ISIS soldiers were having sex with young girls. So I look at his imperfection, public imperfection, but I also look at his public service. You know, he did, he was doing something about that. He set up field hospitals to administer care and brought doctors and nurses in to administer care to those people who were impacted. And I said, wow, that's something. So I said, all right, well, here comes the coronavirus. They didn't, they haven't, I don't know what they're doing here in the States. I don't know if they're actively distributing food or medical supplies to people here because of the coronavirus. Everybody's afraid of, of touching anybody because you're afraid that people, the virus is in the air and so on. So it was a balancing act for me. So while I may not entreatingly follow him because I find that his words, are, they, they, they mock the love of Jesus Christ. You don't demonstrate enough love to people who look like me and sound like me. So I, I find it a mockery. But I still am going to pray for him that he has his own come to Jesus moment and recognize that in the public face of it, you got to have to be kind of all around, not perfect by no means, but all around. It's kind of like your messaging has to match your lifestyle. You see what I'm saying? So as much as you require of me, you ought to require it of the people whom you serve publicly and the people whom you support publicly. I can't support someone. I've never understood Christians who support leaders who hate other people. I don't understand that. So you're telling me that you are not Christian. You're telling me that the love of God is not shed abroad in your heart towards everyone. People who are different from you, people whom you call foreigners. I'm looking at you like, aren't you a foreigner to this land too? This land was first occupied by the, the, the Native Americans. Native people were here before everybody else got here. So who are you calling foreigner again? Pick the gleam out of your own eye before you pick it out of someone else's. It's just like the way we see the Bible. We have to take the whole message. It's not just the parts of it that we like. There are some parts of the Bible that I find, I, see, I'm scratching my neck. I, I, I find some parts of it like scratch your head kind of thing, like, oh. But the question is, do you take all of it or just some of it? 
Do you just take the parts of it that sound good, that gives you a good performance, that when you're done jumping and high-fiving, you can go backstage with your people and say, yeah, that was good. Yeah, you brought it today, Pastor. And then in a few days, those very same people are unable to find something out of your message that makes them able to live, that will help guide them and keep them through the weeks and the coming crises that we have. We all have stuff to do. Some weeks are just normal. And then there are some weeks that try you. Like, I, I, I am one of those, part of my imperfections is impatience. Have you ever heard me say they're trying me? <laughs> if you hear me say they're trying me, I'm struggling with patience. I'm struggling with being patiently standing in line or I'm struggling with doing something that requires time and effort. And all the effort you're putting in and all the time and it's not coming together. Oh, my God. It's like the world has ended for me. I'm one of, I, I am that person. It's, God has been working on me forever. It, it, I, give, I have given up on me. I don't know about God. I'm like, that patience thing is not working, Jesus. Just let it be. <laughs> and Jesus still there working with me through it. We all have issues. Years ago, my youngest daughter, when I first came to Detroit, uh, we lived a different lifestyle in Florida. So when I first came to Detroit, I had to become a working mother. So my hours were ad hoc. The baby didn't like it. My oldest daughter had to get used to it. So she became a surrogate. She had to help the baby spend more. She was spending more time with the baby than I would. The baby didn't like it. One day I came home late. I should have been home earlier, but I got caught up. I couldn't leave work. And I, she met me at the door. I thought I was going to get a hug and love and no. She just looked at me. That dead hand look that babies can give you, that little people whom you give birth to can give you, that make you stop in your tracks. She just looked at me. And then she said, we all have issues. And walked away. I understood then that her issue was the fact that I didn't come home when I said I would. And so she's mad that I don't have control and I should have been home to be there with her. She was about three. Mm -hmm. She's now 18. She still gives you that look every now and then. And I'm like, okay, we need to make some adjustments here. When your children look at you, they give you that look. And I kid you not, it, it, it speaks to how we parent them. We parent them with some effort at providing for them, but also with a responsibility to letting them know that I am responsible for to my word that if I'm going to be there, I should be there. So they're expecting you to follow through. And when you don't, they're like, so what's going on? What's up? It's the same thing we're saying of Christian leaders. You come to us and you tell us that you walk with God and God walks with you. Okay. Then show me where the money is, dude. Show me how the words and the rhetoric that come out of your mouth are not racist, are not sexist, and are not designed to cause more harm. Show me that the love of Christ really is in you when you talk about and treat people from other lands, even people who are on your doorstep, people who are different and who might work in your organization. Show me. That's what we want. If we want any kind of performative kind of preaching and performative performances from Christian leader, show me the money. Show me the love of Christ. Show me that you really do care. Extend your hand out now 
and point to the guy who won the election and say, we're going to pray for you because you are the leader chosen by the people. We're going to pray for you that you have a leadership session, that you lead our country forward in a trying time, as trying a time as we have right now globally. People, make no mistake about it. We're in, the, we're in a pandemic. Forget the word pandemic. We have a virus that is out of control in the United States. If it is out of control here, can you imagine what it's like in South America and in Central America? Can you just imagine? It's out of control here with all the wealth and resources we have. It is now gone past blaming. The, the, the outgoing president is responsible for it. But you know what is happening now? People are dying and people are getting sick that has stretched the capacities of our healthcare system. We're going to have field hospitals in just a minute. By the time January and February roll around, God help us all. And it is going to, we're going to shut down and it's going to contain it for a while. Then you reopen and it splurs and you shut down and you just, the, 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 the speak of it, it just keeps going on. This is going to go on and occupy just like it did in 2020. It's going to occupy most of 2021. And we're going to wake up in 2022 and say, oh, my God, it's been two years we've been fighting this virus. By then, over a million people would have died. That's going to be your come to Jesus moment. So for those people who are still out there trying to find a way to win an election, trying to demonstrate that the guy whom they chose will grab women by the pee, lock up children in cages, rip the wounds out of women, right? Won't extend a hand to people who are helpless because that's what we can do because we're Americans and we have the resources. Won't even give to Americans right now who are hurting, who are facing evictions and homelessness and facing all kinds of manner of evil. And you think that that's going to win. You think that that's a winning performance? I kid you not. We need to stare at our own imperfections. Yes, God might work through us in as we are imperfect. But we ourselves need to come to God and say, you know something, Jesus, I am imperfect. I need to find a way back to you. I need to find a way to bring people back to you. I need to find a way to change the face of this because this is humanity. I want to, sometimes when I hear them speak, I want to ask them this question. Are you human? Are you seeing what we are facing? Are you just looking at the folks who are dying and thinking that, well, they're black, well, they're Hispanic, so they're not my people. Is that what you're thinking? And then white people start dying, and you're like, well, 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 why didn't you move before when there were black people dying and brown people dying? They are humans. They were still people. We are people. We are people of God. Jesus was an unarmed brown man. Why didn't you move on that time? You waited until it came to your door and the people who look like you. It's when now you're going to be fired up. You have a problem. You need to come to face with that. That's not Christian. Definitely. It's not Christ-like. My name is Harriet Kemmer. Go to my website. This is as down to earth as I could make it this Sunday morning. Go to my website, HarrietKemmer.com, as well as visit my pages on Apple, Google, uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and support our podcast through Anchor FM. I am so grateful for your participation, and I wish you a happy and Merry Christmas from all of us here at Down to Earth. Thanks so much, everybody. Be blessed.